It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. So Keisha, you are from Massachusetts, and that's where you currently live. Is that correct? Yes, I was born and raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And you're still there. Are you in Cambridge right now? Yep, I am in Cambridge right now. I am still here. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I grew up in Massachusetts and I went to school in Boston. I live in Los Angeles now. Nice. But just knowing that you're in Massachusetts and from Massachusetts warms my heart. And I was hearing before we started recording that you're into coffee too. So I'm curious, what is your favorite coffee in Massachusetts right now? Do you make it at home? Do you get it at Dunkin' Donuts? Like, I would say I am a Starbucks girl. So I love Starbucks as far as their fraps, their like ice yeah. lattes, and I love their breakfast, especially their egg white feta wrap. I love them. But then I also have a carrying machine at home. So I would sometimes make either hot coffee or try to make some iced coffee, especially now that the weather is getting, you know, pretty nice out. And then I just, um, yeah, but my coffee, I like all flavored coffee. Yes. Like either caramel, caramel, vanilla cream. And then, of course, when fall comes around, I love pumpkin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so not a Dunkin' Donuts fan? Like I would have it, but I noticed it's like Starbucks has won my heart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. But like if you're from Massachusetts like we are, it's kind of like it's hard to admit that, I think, because yeah, people is. in Massachusetts are so into it. Exactly. Jason is from Detroit. And was there a Dunkin Donuts in Detroit, Jason? Or is that? Oh, yeah. There was? Like oh, yeah. your whole no. life there was Dunkin Donuts? Yeah, legit. So so there was one I remember that was like, it's still there. That's about 10 minutes from my mom's house. So in Detroit, there wasn't one like downtown near my grandparents' house or, or the house I grew up in. We had to drive to the nearest suburb, which was like on the border of West Detroit, which is called Dearborn Heights. And that's where my mom currently lives. And so the funny thing was, is I, growing up, right, I had no idea about the regional fanaticism, if you will, right? Because in Detroit, we had our own things going on in terms of food and beverages and things that people were like really hardcore proud of. They identified like, that Detroit work ethic kind of thing. So we had like Coney dogs and we had chili fries and we had specific things about Detroit, but Dunkin' Donuts was not like it was. When I've gone to visit Boston with you, Whitney, and I get a sense of the culture there, people are hardcore about their Dunkin' Donuts. It wasn't that way in Detroit. It was like, okay, we're going to go get some donut holes once in a while as a treat. But it wasn't like part of, of the cultural makeup and a sense of like maybe, I don't know if pride is the right word, but People treat Dunkin' Donuts very differently in Massachusetts than they did growing up in Michigan. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I just read today, actually, at the day that we're recording this, that they are closing a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts, but it was simply because they weren't performing as well. And I read it at first and it seemed like a lot. It was like hundreds of the stores, but it was like only 8% or something of all the stores in the country. Mm -hmm. And that just gave me some perspectives of how many Dunkin' Donuts there are and it's not just a Massachusetts thing or an East Coast thing anymore. It's expanded. And even in Los Angeles, we have Dunkin' Donuts now. So it's grown and there's nostalgia there for me. <laughs> but I'm like you, Keisha. Yeah. I actually would prefer Starbucks over Dunkin' Donuts. And I did like, I liked the actual donuts there. And I also really liked the Dunkin' Donuts bagels. Yeah. But when I was living in Massachusetts, I was not that into coffee. And now I'm really into coffee, (laughs) but I much prefer making it myself. And then every once in a while, I will go to a cafe, but it's mainly a unique cafe something that's kind of a little bit more interesting because I know that I can get Starbucks like anytime, anywhere. That's true. So it's interesting. And, you know, Jason is not that into coffee. He'll have it every once in a while. But for me, it's not just about the caffeine. It's about all the flavors. And I I love that you mentioned that you like all the different flavors too, because that's part of the experience. Exactly. And it tastes so good. It really does. I actually find it's really fun to experiment with 
how I can make the best coffee at home possible. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like the iced coffees I really like to get into. You're right. So I'm like, oh, is it going to taste the same? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it never really does to me. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> really a fascinating process because there's so many variables when it comes to making coffee drinks. Yes. Everything about the ratios and the flavors and how you brew the coffee and just like it's I think that that's part of what makes it really fun. Yeah, that's true. I'm just excited to talk with somebody in Massachusetts. And I, I saw that you went to Framingham State and, and I grew up kind of close to Framingham. So I know that very well. Oh. And what's life been like in Massachusetts for you recently? One thing I, I really want to talk with you about is your experience during COVID. Jason and I were actually supposed to come out to Massachusetts next month in September for the convention that we go to every year in Philadelphia, and we we make this whole trip, but it got canceled because of COVID. And aside from what I hear from my parents, who are like 30 miles outside of Boston, I don't like know that much about what life is like in, in Massachusetts these days. So I'm curious what your experience has been in the city. And then also just curious about your overall experience during COVID. Yeah, right now, I would say in Massachusetts, it is it's pretty crazy. You know, like a starting beginning of March, that's when everything started to begin to shut down out here, you know, so it just became really crazy. Um, businesses closed, only essential business open. So it's like scary because, you know, when it first came out, I'm like, this coronavirus just seems like it's just not going to be well. It's not going to be right. Like I just had like totally one of those like bad feelings within my body. And then especially someone like myself living with muscular dystrophy, I have breathing and respiratory issues. So for myself, I am a person that at, that is at high risk. So I honestly, me personally, I live in Cambridge. I'm close to Central Square, like right in the city. I honestly haven't been out. I haven't really seen any family and friends because it's like my head is so like, I'm just, I guess you can say I'm like paranoid. I feel like I'm going to go outside. And like the coronavirus is going to be totally right, right there waiting for me or something. Yeah. So, yes, I've been getting my groceries. My mom would bring them off, drop them off and things like that. But I must say I must commend the building manager, the building where I live. She has been very, very strict with not allowing visitors to come in or out. The only people that are allowed in here are the people that work. So, for instance, like my personal care attendants, they can come in. You know, to of course, because I need assistance getting in out the bed. And then, um, but yeah, honestly, I haven't been out. Like, I'm just I'm too scared to. I'm not there yet. And then especially when I hear people like, oh, well, you know, this coronavirus is not real. It's fake. It's so silly. And it's like, dude, come on. It's like, obviously, dude, what, what are the people dying from that? It's like, if you're saying this is fake, it's like, so what are these people dying from? It's like, come on and just wear the mask. Like, it's not that. Yes, I understand it could get hot, but it's like, until we collectively do all of this together, then it's like we can fight this, you know, until there's like some kind of vaccine and everyone can try to stay safe. But it's like if, if we have people like that not wanting to play where they mask and the people that don't care, they are not also helping my confidence in wanting to go outside, if that makes sense. They're just helping me like and don't get me wrong, because sometimes I am totally a introvert. Like I enjoy being at home. I love watching my TV. I'm a TV fanatic. I watch all reality <laughs> shows. I watch Netflix. So I'm kind of like, it's not like I'm okay. You know, I'm in here focusing on my business, doing podcasts like this with people that I love. And it's like, I'm okay. I'm content with being in my environment. <laughs> That's how I feel too. And I imagine it is on another level for, for you feeling that you are more at risk. And I, I don't personally have that experience, but like you, I do feel like this is a really serious thing. And I, I try to limit my interaction with other people and stay inside. And part of that is due to respect. You know, I, I really appreciate the mentality that wearing a mask is not just for your health. It's for the health of anybody else that you're interacting with. And I, I think it's been really interesting that so many people, it, you're kind of like seeing the selfishness in other people, right? Like yeah. how there's the conspiracy theory side of it, which Jason and I have talked a lot about. That's kind of fascinating. But then there's also this element of even if you do believe that COVID is real, there are a lot of people that just feel like if it doesn't affect them, then they can do whatever they want. Yeah. But for somebody that might be more at risk health-wise, what a, it's like that consideration for their health is not always there and not realizing 
how much our decisions impact other people. Yeah. And it's like it's bringing that to light, but also giving us an opportunity if you're paying attention to realize how much of an impact we can have on other people. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. I'm curious, Keisha, about your kind of your viewpoint with people that are you know, sort of complaining about the state of things, you know what I'm saying? Like that are my freedom is restricted or I can't do the things that I want to do. And and we see a lot of people really talking about freedom. You know, that word has been coming up in so many instances right now, especially this year of, of the concept of what freedom means to me. And obviously with someone who is, is a, someone who's bringing the reality of living with LGMD to light. And it's something that I had to educate myself on before this interview of, of kind of what, what is all involved in that you know, your perspective on, on what freedom means to you, right, is going to be different than the average person who's like, oh, I can't go to karate practice or I can't, you know, do basketball practice or whatever it is. And I guess my, my question is, what is your emotional reaction or your perception when you see people, I guess, complaining about those kind of things? And you're like, look, you know, like your version of freedom and their version of freedom might be to- totally two totally different things. Yeah. And I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, what's been your emotional reality kind of looking at what with what's going on around, you know, people saying their freedoms being restricted and all that kind of stuff. Those people, my first response to them is shut up. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so sick of them. Like, shut up. It's like people look at like you met and I'm so glad that, you know, you took it upon yourself to educate. And it's like, you know, all right, like this person who's living with a disability. And it's like these people are complaining, like you said, to not even go on a karate practice. So oh my God, I missed, you know, a girl's night was supposed to go to the bar and things like that. And it's like, just shut up. Because people in the disability community, number one, have been asking for these special accommodations for the longest time now, just to backtrack. I was working for a company. I can't even disclose that now because I have a Massachusetts MCAD case going against them now because I felt like I was discriminated at my job. And I specifically asked due to my disability, things were starting to progress. And I specifically asked like, oh, can I work from home? you know, just, you know, little office work because my, you know, it was becoming hard to become on my feet. I'm in the retail field doing merchandising. That was becoming a lot. And, you know, when I felt like they discriminated, they did not want to do that. And I was fired. Wow. So it's so interesting that it's like, look at during this COVID-19, we are still in this, this pandemic started in March. And it's like, look how quickly this world has changed within minutes, less than 24 hours, classes online. Now I can go to doctor's appointments, televisits, you know, all these video calls and non-video calls, you have choices. And it's like, look at that. That took less than 10, not even, yeah, less than a day. I will say for the world to change, people can work from home. And it's like, this is something the people in the disability community have been asking for forever. So I'm like, when all of this goes back to normal, when this pandemic is over, I was like, please don't forget about people like myself and the disability community. Because for some of us, this is our normal life. Yeah. Some of us have to wear masks, you know, just going to the doctors because we have low immune systems and respiratory. Some people have kidney disease, Lyme, all of these different chronic illnesses that I'm still learning myself. So some of us, this is the normal. So for people then, yeah, when I hear them complaining like, oh, my God, I miss seeing people. It's like, shut up. And I understand some people really live like their life all based off, you know, interacting with people going out. But that's not. Me, like I'm an introvert, so I'm totally like I like being alone. I live alone. Even when I went in college, like I specifically asked for no roommates. I I can relate because I'm I'm introverted too. Exactly. The introverts are having an easier time. (laughs) Yes. And I'm just like, oh, shut up. You know, I'm here just trying to make it out of bed safely. You know, and it's like you're complaining of not just wearing a mask. It's like, dude, come on. So it's like I'm just trying to make it to point A to point B, make it from the bedroom to the bathroom without having to fall. So it's like, yeah, I do look at someone in, you know, my disability community where this is our norm. And then of course now with this whole pandemic, like we we are someone that are at higher risk. So it's like, like you said, like be, yeah, like you're being selfish when I feel like when people like don't care and they're like, I don't have to wear this mask. And yeah, I'm getting on the plane. I'm going to go travel. Like to me, if it's not like an emergency, like why are you getting on the plane? It's just kind of like, why, why would you do that? That's just like my personal, like, I'm just like, okay. Like even this instance when everything started with the whole Black Lives Matter and yes, I'm 
happy that, you know, people are out there protesting safely. I don't like the whole vandalism and things like that. But as I watched them online, I just thought to myself, like, I don't see a lot of people wearing masks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. That's the first thing I thought of. So it's like, that's just to show you how my mind is. And even now when I have my personal care attendants come in, they know they have to um, put on hand sanitizer downstairs when they come upstairs before they even touch me, wash their hands, put on hand sanitizer, gloves and mask. And I have them take their temperature because it's like I'm a person at high risk. And it's like, you know, we all have to be safe. Absolutely. It is really fascinating because I certainly feel like this has opened my eyes to a lot. And just like with Black Lives Matter happening right now, I'm seeing a lot of shifts within myself, but I'm also noticing a lot of resistance that other people have. And that's really fascinating too, how people respond to these things very differently. You know, it kind of reveals the truth within people. And a lot of that ego, as I mentioned, of I think so many people are afraid to change or it's hard for them to look outside of themselves to understand and accept people who are in different situations or who just simply live a different life, come from a different background. And to me, it's, it, yeah, there's like this pro and a con. And, and, and the con is that it's bringing up a lot of sadness in the, the sides of humanity. Yeah. And how there is a lack of compassion from a lot of people. And I guess the way that I've best dealt with it is to learn to be more compassionate, almost like, well, if I don't see one person being compassionate, then maybe I can make up for it a little and be extra compassionate myself. Yeah, And that's tough, though, because it kind of it's like you can almost feel resentful, though, similar to how you're expressing here when you notice this human behavior. I'm curious if that affects you in a like a mental health standpoint, Keisha, like does that create the anger or hopelessness or depression at like the state of things in the world, like seeing people treat one another that way? Um, yeah, I would definitely say it does, you know, affect me. It's like it makes me sad. It makes me, you know, and it's just like uninspiring. It's like just, you know, but I kind of feel like that's why I'm, I'm thankful for people like, you know, you all that give me the platform to express myself on a podcast. And I like to express that through blogging. And then most importantly, I feel like I express that through my clothing line where, you know, I express my different sayings and my different logos. Like I express like how, uh, you know, I'm feeling at the moment. But um, yeah, it's it's totally just not exciting to see that. It makes me feel sad, especially everything that's going on between the COVID-19, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's like, it's a lot. You know, here I'm at African-American plus disabled, you know, so that's why I specifically created a t-shirt that said Black Disabled Lives Matter as well. Because, you know, here I am. I feel like I got two bar- two targets on my back. It's like, am I going to get accepted because I have a disability? Am I going to accept it because I'm a Black woman? You know, so now I have two. So doing that t-shirt line, has that introduced you to more people that are like you? I think maybe that's a benefit of this is sometimes we can feel really alone. But when you do work like you're doing and talk about who you are and what makes you different, have you met a lot of like-minded or, or people that are in that same, having those same experiences or in that same place in their life? Yeah, definitely. So I would say when I first started my business, overall, Girls Chronically Rock has definitely brought me to, you know, like made me meet a whole range of people in the disability community. And it just, it made me feel good because I didn't feel alone. You know, here I was, I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy in 2010 when I was in graduate school. So, you know, it's like that. I had a whole life before, right. you know, here I was walking up and down the stairs, living my best life as a normal, you know, 20 year old person would. So boom, here comes this muscular dystrophy. I totally was in denial. I wasn't telling any family and friends. I wasn't accepting the fact that I had it. Even going on job interviews, going to work. When I started walking with a cane, I would tell them I sprayed my ankle or I was in a car accident. Wow. So, you know, I was saying everything, but, you know, it's like for me to say I was in a car accident or sprayed my ankle. It sounded better than for me to say muscular dystrophy because saying muscular dystrophy at the time just made it seem so real. Like, wow, I have muscular dystrophy. So that's what kind of inspired me to start Girls Chronically Rock. And how I came up with the name is that I knew I wanted something with the word chronic in it, a chronic illnesses, but I didn't know exactly how I wanted to incorporate that. So honestly, I was just lying in bed one night. That's when I feel like my most creative juices start flowing when I'm like lying down watching TV. And I thought girls chronically rock. And I just loved the way it sounded. I loved the way it flowed. I loved it. It just sounds empowering, motivational, inspiring. And then, you know, because I'm like, I want to help and create others 
you know, out there, because I know people like myself who was diagnosed with a chronic illness slash disability in their later, you know, adult life. So it's been awesome to just connect with other people in the disability community, especially others that I have met that have muscular dystrophy that I like I do, because there's nothing like talking to somebody who understands and gets, you know, what you're going through on a daily basis, what the body's feeling like fatigue, if you have a fall, not knowing what the body's going to feel like each day. So there's nothing like it. Like I always tell people, yes, it's awesome, the support of family and friends, but there's nothing like talking to somebody who understands and gets what you're going through on a daily basis. I'm so curious, Keisha, about the jump from you experiencing the denial of the reality of what was happening to your body. I'm curious not only about the emotions of that experience, but then when you finally settled into a state of, okay, this is real. I'm going to be real about it. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to use euphemisms or, or act like it's something not. You know, What was that emotional process and that leap like of, I suppose, for lack of a better term, acceptance and then surrender to the reality of what was happening? Yeah, I mean, it definitely took a lot. You know, like, as I mentioned, here I was in graduate school doing my thing, enjoying life. And then this comes out of nowhere. So I'm like, what is muscular dystrophy? Never heard of it. So the day the doctor called me, I'm thinking, well, she must have called the wrong person. I don't have muscular dystrophy. Like, what is she talking about? Maybe she got the wrong test results. So she got something mixed up because I just totally felt like I don't have it. And then especially, of course, the first thing we do is go online, start Googling symptoms that I'm reading. There's no cure, no treatment. Some people may not live a long lifespan. And, you know, it's like all these things that I'm like, I don't have that. So, of course, I wasn't telling any family and friends. And then one day, one of my friends suggested, why don't you write a blog? Why don't you just write, start venting about your symptoms and what it's like living with limb girdle muscular dystrophy? And I thought to myself, I'm like, and told him at the time, I'm like, why? Why would I do that? I don't have muscular dystrophy. So it took some time when he had said that. But then one day I opened my laptop and I just started typing, just opened up in Microsoft Word, just started typing my symptoms and everything leading up to, you know, le leading up to the doctors, what symptoms I was facing and all the testings and everything. And then it took that moment as I was typing and saying it out loud. I said to myself, wow, I have muscular dystrophy. It's crazy. It's like it took that moment. Never mind what the doctors were saying. Never mind the test results. It took for me as I was typing it and saying out loud, wow, I have muscular dystrophy. And then I just kind of ran with that. I posted it on Tumblr at the time. And then I posted it on social media, Facebook, and just the great positive feedback that I got. I was like, wow, like, you know, people like, you know, enjoyed it. They like listening to my story. And these are people that I mean, I chatted to and seen on a regular basis that didn't even know what was going on with me. Because at the time, you know, I just looking at me, you wouldn't know like I had muscular dystrophy. I was, you know, normal walking, no mobility aids then, just still driving, doing my thing. So, you know, when I posted that and got some really great feedback, it made me feel good. It kind of made me come out of denial a little bit, not 100% at that time, but it definitely opened the door a little bit and then made me feel more easier to chat about it. That's such a beautiful thing. And it's such a great reminder that, I mean, there's there's a couple elements to this. So first of all is the, the denial. I think human beings tend to be in denial because it feels safer to kind of deny the realities of life, whether it's something that happens to you or something that's happening in, in the world. And I, I think that that might be part of the reaction that's happening during COVID and Black Lives Matter. It's like, well, it's too hard to look at this. So let's just pretend it's not happening. Let's go about our lives as if it's not happening. And I think it's, it takes so much bravery to do what you're doing and, and or what you did then and what you're doing now. But just that moment where you said the truth and you spoke it out loud and you embraced it and, and you're also sharing your experience for other people. Because I imagine a lot of people are finding you through your blog posts and through your podcasts and through your social media. And maybe that first feeling they have is I'm not alone. Yes. Because I feel like that's one of the hardest parts when you're going through a time of uncertainty, change, transformation, for better or for worse, whatever stage we're in. And that feeling of nobody else will understand me. Or I'm not going to be accepted anymore through this. Is that part of the reason that you think you wanted to not only deny it for yourself, but you didn't want to acknowledge it to other people? What was going through your mind when you were 
telling people that you're using a cane for a different reason. Do you remember like what that experience was like and like what your motivation was to kind of hide it? Yeah, like it was like just it was so random. Like, honestly, it wasn't even something I thought like because here I'm thinking like I'm going into this interview. I thought, well, they're going to ask me why, you know, I have this cane. I don't I'm not wearing it as a fashion statement, although some people did think that (laughs) when I would go up. But I'm like, what should I say? So it was like, honestly, those were the first two things what came to my mind. So it's like it wasn't even something that was prior thought out when I left home. It was kind of like once I pulled up because at that time I was driving, once I pulled up in the car. Knowing I was about to go in the building for this interview, I'm like, what sounds better? But see, in my head, I'm thinking muscular dystrophy sounded the worst. And at that time, it's like, if I had a different mindset, then it's like, you know, I would have just came out and said muscular dystrophy like how I do now. But, you know, it's kind of, I look at it like it is what it is because I can't say, oh, what would I have done better? Because it's like the mindset I was in then, it's like, I, that. that's how I felt. That's what I was dealing with. I like, I'm in my early 20s. And the doctor's telling me I have muscular dystrophy. What is that? Nobody in my family seems to have it. So it's like, you know, they just kind of like go with the flow. So it was kind of like whatever came to mind. And then as soon as I, they saw me and I was ready to interview, I'm like, oh, I sprained my ankle. It was kind of like, honestly, whatever came to mind like at that moment. But it was between the two, sprained ankle and car accident. And they just sounded better at the time. Like instead of me saying muscular dystrophy, because it just didn't even sound right to me at the time. Yeah, it kind of goes back to maybe even what you were describing with your recent experience with job discrimination. And it's so sad that employers might hire somebody based on what they look like or whether or not they have a disability or what their gender is and all these other factors. And it just feels like sometimes we have to pretend to be different than who we are in order to get by in life. And I, I find that just so heartbreaking you know, or sometimes we feel like somebody's not going to understand us. So it's hard to even like to share the truth of what we're going through because it's like too much of a risk of being misunderstood. Yeah. And it sounds like you were probably coming up against a lot of those things. So what has shifted for you since you started embracing this? How long has it been again? What year was it that you were diagnosed? 2011. So like 2010, 2011, I was still able to finish graduate school and everything. So that was good. <laughs> Keisha, I was diving into a, a really amazing blog post that just came out really recently that you did with Mega Swimwear about stories of resilience. Oh yes, and yeah, it was it was oh, man. There's so much that I feel you know as I was reading through this and, and reading more about your story and and you know for me it, it's interesting because recently I was feeling really frustrated recently with this ongoing foot injury that I've been dealing with for for months now, right and. Not really sure of exactly what's going on. In, in fact, today after we get done recording, I'm going to the hospital to uh, to get an X-ray and an MRI and, and you know get some things done, try and figure out what's going on. Yeah. The other day, I, I wasn't able to sleep. I've had like a, a little bit of insomnia because you know the pain in my foot has been like not allowing me to sleep. Right. And the other day, I'm down on myself and I'm getting you know I'm getting into that whole like what's happening. No one can tell me exactly what's going on with this foot. Blah blah blah. I'm getting down on myself. You know what I mean. And you know, reading your story, getting to know you in real time here, it's almost like I'm not being mean to myself when I say this, but I'm like, dude, stop being a little bitch. Like, <laughs> you know, no, but you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 and I say that jokingly, but also half serious in the sense that my girlfriend was, was on the phone with me and I'm just like, God, this hurts so bad. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm scared because I haven't been able to figure this out. But as I was reading this specific blog post that we will link to in the show notes for the listener, if you want to check out this amazing blog post with Miga, when your body betrays you, and it's so funny because that's the exact phrase I have been using when I've been talking to friends and, and my girlfriend about it is I, I feel like my body is sabotaging. It's like my body's sabotaging my life, right? And this is yeah. probably something that I will have a name to and we'll be able to figure out. But this post like hit me in the heart, right? Because here I am dealing with this relatively minor thing. And I'm just, I'm so fascinated with the psychological process of, I guess, you know, you feeling frustration or anger or wanting your old life back or being like, why is my body betraying me? And that phrase just, it hit me in the heart, Keisha. Like just, it's still with me. Like I I feel chills just reading this because even in my minor situation, that frustration, I, I guess I'm just curious how you've been able to Psych and what is that psychologically for you of being like, damn you, body? Like, yeah, not not falling into hating your body, right? Not falling into maybe a victim mentality of being angry about it. How do you navigate all of that? 
I would say I tell people I take things day by day. I honestly feel like as I wake up, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of go with the flow. I realize that I do not have control over this muscular dystrophy. This has control over me. So whenever I I may get like, you know, people on the outside think like, you know, they're doctors and they're going to cure this disease. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, like everything's going to be fine. Just pray and, you know, just maybe eat healthy. And it's like, again, shut up. Like, you know what I mean? It's like I think people sometimes think like, oh, in their head, like as if like we wake up like, oh, yeah, let me get that muscular dystrophy. Let me get that with no treatment or cure. No, that's not the case. And I just learned to realize that I just have to take it day by day. If I have a fall or anything like that, I just, I don't know if I've gotten so used to it. I don't know if that sounds like bad to even say that, but luckily I do wear my lifeline button because I live alone. And so whenever I do have a fall, thank goodness I hit that button and the firefighters and EMTs, they come to help me out. But, you know, I realize I don't have control over this. And this is kind of reminds me of just like how we don't have control right now over this pandemic. We don't like we don't know what's going to happen, what, you know, what it's going to be like in the next few months. But we do have control over to wear a mask. But yeah, I guess like for me, I just, you know, been taking it day by day and looking at things that keep me motivated and insane. And I would say that definitely is me like focusing on my business, Girls Chronically Raw, thinking of new creative ideas on things to expand my business. But then also, as I mentioned, I love watching TV. I love watching (laughs) TV. So that definitely keeps me being just knowing like, say if I have a bad fall one day or I'm down about something, just knowing I have some kind of entertainment, reality, interesting to watch later. I look forward to that. And that's like, honestly, the truth, like my reality TV, like keeps me sane and that keeps me going. It puts me kind of like in a different mindset, if that makes sense. Oh, it does for sure. And I'm actually really curious what you love to watch. Like what are ah, some of your favorite shows to, to watch, watch right everything. now? Oh my God. So I would watch like <laughs> Jersey Shore. I watch Siesta Keys. I watch Marriage Boot Camp. Um, And then I love the daytime talk shows. But of course, you know, a lot of them have been put on hold due to the pandemic. But I love watching Ellen. I love Wendy Williams. Although some people do not like her. I'm obsessed with her. But yeah, (laughs) I pretty much watch like everything. And then I would love to watch binge watch um, shows and movies on Netflix. (laughs) Yes. Like what are your favorite Netflix shows? Netflix shows I watch like on my block. My niece got me into that. Um, I used to love um, Orange is the New Black. I'm sad that that's over. And then I recently got finished watching this show um, called Dr. Foster. I love anything like suspenseful too. Like I love like drama. So not always comedy, but like something, you know, that's going to be like extra dramatic. Yes. <laughs> I love well, it. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like a lot of people feel guilty about watching TV, but how you're positioning it is like, yeah, it's part of how you feel good. And like, that's, it's like a element of your mental health in a way. And yeah not like feeling guilty for taking a break and like wanting to watch something fun. And then, you know, a lot of people want to get on this almost like a high horse for like the quality TV shows they watch. (laughs) You know, it's important to remember there's all this different programming for different, you know, things that you want to experience in your life. And sometimes it's fun to just watch like a random reality show or like get really into the characters. And I love that you're you're just like owning it and like proud of everything you watch because I I feel the same way. Like I really enjoy watching TV too. And I'm grateful that we have access to so many different things during times where exactly. it can feel so stressful. Imagine like if we didn't have cable and the TV and Netflix during this time, like back then, yeah. like when the Spanish flu and all that, like, oh my God, I would have died. Yeah, like what do they even do? <laughs> read by candlelight? <laughs> that was the jam back then. They're like, did you read the new Charles Dickens novel? It's the jam. Oh my God. They're like, my God, you know, that new Dostoevsky novel is the shit. This makes me wonder something else for you, Keisha, since you do run your own business. And is it right? You don't currently have a job because you're in that process with your previous job where you're hired. So I'm curious for you running your own business. Do you feel the desire to like hustle and work yourself all the time and that whole like grind mentality? Because it sounds like you know, there are some people that feel like they don't want to watch TV because it takes away time from their business. And I think that that you can easily strike a balance and and it actually can be beneficial to take time away from your business. But there's like this ongoing message right now during COVID of like, if you're not working every day and taking advantage over all this time that you have, then you're wasting 
you know, this time at home or something. I'm curious what your perspective is on that and your experience with your business. I would say yes. My my business is my full time. You know, I felt like even when I was working, this was more a priority than my other job just because, you know, I knew I wanted Girls Chronically Rock to take off and I'm looking to build this empire. And I've always, always been into watching TV, even from when I was in college, living with my mom. So yeah, I totally feel like I could balance it. Like as of right now, like, you know, I could be here like checking emails and then I have it on Netflix and I still like to, you know, watch the two because I can put my head up, bring it down. And then once I'm done with the emails, yes, that gives me more focus to watch the show or vice versa. I'm the same way. But, um, I would definitely say like you can balance. Yeah, you can totally balance. And, and it's OK. I realize that I'm realizing just honestly um, recently is like it's OK to take a break from your business and responding to emails and just taking a break from just overall everything because that that can be exhausting to on the body. And that's something I'm learning for myself these like past week or two. Absolutely. That reminds me of another thing that I wanted to ask you. I saw this since Jason brought up an, an article he found on you. One of the articles I really enjoyed reading was six Beyonce songs that have helped me have fun. <laughs> and I thought that was so great. And one of the things that you said in that article was about how music helps you through challenging time. And I'm curious, like, what have you been listening to lately? Are you super excited? When does her her Disney special? Oh, yeah, that come out today. <gasps> yeah, I'm like, my friend already started watching it, but she's a huge, like, she's more obsessed. Like, she would more take a bullet for Beyonce, I think, than I would. I'm wow. like, I don't know. And I think I'm more of like a, re- I think I love them both. I'm more like Rihanna, I think, for me. Nice. So what's your favorite Rihanna song? I love, I love everything. I love her latest albums. I like work, work, work. It's another like slow jam she has on there. Although she hasn't had any recent music. It's like, I just love what she's doing with the whole lingerie line. She's just amazing. I just call her just perfect. And I think I can relate to her just because she comes from, she's from Barbados and that's where my family's from. So it's like, I tell people in my head, oh yeah, me and her are like totally cousins, but I really don't know her. (laughs) So in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, we're like, and it's so weird when I tell some people that, like some person that would just be me, like they totally believe it. And I'm like, oh yeah, me and her are first cousins, but we're really not. (laughs) I love that you brought up Rihanna because my perception of Rihanna goes beyond, you know, being a performer and a musician and a singer in the sense that she occupies like many many people in my mind, like a very unique echelon of an artist that she takes risks. She isn't afraid to be who she is. Like I get the sense and the energy of her that she's just like, this is who I am. I'm going to be exactly as I am, right? I'm going to show up and just be who I am and y'all going to deal with it, right? Yeah. And so I, in the context of you being inspired by her and having her be, I suppose, a, a an archetype for you, what do you see, Keisha, as far as your creativity, your self-expression with Girls Chronically Rock, with being a writer, with all the things you do, in your healing process, right? And you being able to live with and educate other people about LGMD, what role does creativity play for you? I guess maybe in an emotional sense, a spiritual sense. What, what's your perspective on your own creativity? Um, I would say for me, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know if I ever thought about that, but I would say like more of like emotional because I like how I'm feeling at the moment. Sometimes like I like to express that, you know, through my line. As I mentioned earlier with everything going on now with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, I was like, you know, because I'm angry, I'm sad, all that at the same time. So I wanted to express that, you know, through my T-shirt line, you know, to express like how I'm feeling, how I want to be heard, what I want people to see and to view me. But um, yeah, I would definitely say like emotional, like how depending on how I'm feeling or if something's either funny, but sometimes I say random things too. And I'll be talking to family and friends and I'm like, ah, and I would just say something random. I'm like, oh, wait, that would sound really cute on a T-shirt. And then I just try to like to create the logo and the colors of what I want for it. So it can just be totally random at any time, especially maybe sometimes even watching a movie, whether I'm crying or happy about it. One of the things that you said in that Beyonce article was that for a while, your diagnosis felt like it was not only an identifier, but your whole identity because your life had to change drastically around it. Yeah. And so when you were saying for a while, that's no longer the case for you. And how did you how did you shift your mentality? So it wasn't your entire identity anymore? Um, I just realized like, yes, it's a part of me, but it's not who I am. You know, and I realized, yes, as I say, like this muscular dystrophy, I don't have any control over it. This has control over me. I wake up every day and just take it day by day, make it from point A to point B and just try to make it throughout the day. But yeah, I realized that, you know, it's kind of like I'm a true believer in things 
do happen for a reason. You know, maybe I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy for a reason. You know, maybe it was a reason God probably thought, you know, maybe I can handle it. And this is a way for me to express, you know, with my line, because I always wanted to be a fashion designer, always wanted to be a business um, owner and knew I wanted to, you know, own my own business. So I kind of feel like everything aligned and everything kind of came together. You know, I realized as it should. And I it, it took a lot to accept that, you know, and I feel like I, I'm still learning each and every day of, you know, being new to the disability community, what to say, what not to say. But, you know, it totally took some time, but me sharing my story and inspiring others. And when I get those like wonderful messages on my direct messages on Instagram, Facebook, email, whatever, and they're like, oh my God, Keisha, I love what you're doing. And I admire, you know, I know someone that has muscular dystrophy or I have it. My family has MS. I know someone that has lupus and they would love your line. And when I get messages and things like that, that just warms my heart because it just continues to make me feel motivated, inspired. And I'm just like, wow, people are paying attention, you know, to my story, what I'm doing overall Girls Chronically Rock. And I that just motivates me to continue to grow because I look at it as Girls Chronically Rock movement. What role, Keisha, does fear play in your life in terms of, you know, you starting your own business and being an entrepreneur and, and having the background that you do in fashion and business management and if I may, you know, perceiving you as as an artist and an activist, right? It's like, yes. to me, my perception of you is like entrepreneur, artist, activist. When fear comes up for you, what kind of thoughts come through your head? Like, what are the main fears that you face? And, and what relationship does fear play in your life? And, and ultimately, how do you dance with it? How do, you, how do you use it in your life to keep yourself moving forward? I would say fear for me, of course, I think about, you know, is my business going to build into the empire that I want it to? And then most importantly, I think, is this muscular dystrophy going to take my life? You know, what is going to happen? Because some types of muscular dystrophy does affect our hearts. So I have to make sure to get an echocardiogram once a year to make sure that the heart is functioning properly and everything is well, you know? So it's definitely, I have those fears of, you know, was my muscular dystrophy going to progress even more? Like, am I even going to be able to stand up and at least do some things independently? You know, I think about all of that and that that all factors into you know, because without my body functioning, I feel like, well, then how can I function Girls Chronically Rock? I need this to succeed. I need this to grow. I have so many ideas and so many things I want to do under the Girls Chronically Rock umbrella. So, you know, I just think about like things I like right now, you know, I'm thinking I need to get back on track. I need to eat healthy, you know, so I can live a long lifespan and, you know, strengthen my muscles and just, you know, to keep living as long as I possibly can. So, of course, I, I think about all of those things like on like a regular basis. Here's a question I have. I'm curious because I was obviously going down the, the Internet research rabbit hole for you. <laughs> when people say you're an inspiration, does it irk you? Does it piss you off? Does it depend who's saying it in the context? Or is it something that you accept as like, yeah, I do inspire people? Like when people say that to you, how do you take that in? How, how does that make you feel? That honestly was something I just wrote the other day because again I feel like being in this disability community I'm learning like what I find like oh I'm fine with that I would hear a next disability person say I don't like to be called an inspiration I am not your inspiration and then like another time I heard them say oh well I don't like when people say I have a chronic illness I have a disability and I'm like oh wow because like I use both terms (laughs) I use chronic illness slash disability so I feel like that's all something I'm still learning and same thing with inspiration so when I saw someone post that the other day I'm like, hmm, am I doing something wrong? You know, so it made me, that inspired me then, (laughs) the word inspired, that inspired me to post because, you know, especially my disability community, that's my following. So I'm like, what do others think about this? Because I feel, you know, to me, there's no right or wrong answers. This is something from my expression. I honestly don't have a a problem with it. I, you know, because even sometimes with my talks that I do for speaking engagements, my title would be from chronic illness to inspiration. You know, so when people say like, oh, yeah, you're inspired, like I can get what people are saying, like this one girl comment and said, someone said, oh, she was so inspired because like she opened the door by herself. And like, you know, the girl in the wheelchair is like, you know, that that's so stupid. Like, why am I inspired? You know, that I opened the door just like everyone else. So something like that, I can totally understand. So I guess it's how they say it. But me personally, I, I don't see a problem with it. I don't mind when people say that because that honestly just inspires me and motivates me even more when I hear like even young kids, older people, and they're like, oh my God, Keisha, you're such an inspiration. Cause I think they're not just looking at me like, oh, well, you're in a wheelchair. You're so inspiring. But they're looking at the overall picture. Like you're inspiring, Keisha. Like, look at that. Like you're living with muscular dystrophy. You're in a wheelchair. I read your blogs. You're not knowing what the body's going to feel like, what it's going to do. 
you know, you had a whole life before this. You are now running a business on your own. You don't have a team of people, but you're running Girls Chronically Rock Business, all of that and balancing, you know, a chronic illness, disability, however you want to say it. I use both terms. But, um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, that's how they mean it. I just don't think they look at me like just strolling down the street. Oh, you're such inspiration. You know, because then I'm just like, all right, like, what, what are you really saying? So I don't have a problem with it, but I noticed some other people do. But that's so interesting. You brought it up because I totally just posted about that the other day because I'm like, is it just me? You know, and then so it was 50 50. Some people said they don't like it. And then some people said, I don't mind. I, I like when they say I'm an inspiration. So I'm fine with it. I'm glad you lent your perspective because you know, one one thing that I'm trying to be mindful of, right, is is realizing that with the language that I use or the terminology that I use, depending on who's receiving it and their life experience and how it lands for them emotionally, that sometimes I might say something that lands in a way that someone it doesn't feel good for someone, right? And yeah, and I guess going back to kind of like the the guilt and the shaming that's going on on social media right now is I feel like in people's, I guess, attempt to be more woke, right? Or, or wokeness yeah. is like a lot of people are maybe trying to correct each other or educate each other, but sometimes it gets maybe a little mean or punitive, right? Like cancel culture and everything that's going on right now. And yeah. and I, I realize that sometimes even in trying to educate myself and create more empathy and understanding, I may at times use terminology or a phrase that someone's like, yeah, that doesn't feel good to me. And then it's an opportunity for me to choose to either get defensive, right? And like, that's not where I was coming from, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or sit back, keep my heart open, keep my mind open and listen to another person's perspective. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I just appreciate your perspective on it because I'm always trying to be like, okay, it's interesting. It's it's not in the sense of wanting to be woke or PC or trying to be performative, right? Because I feel like those kind of things are, are very real. But it's like, I want to be able to understand someone's experience as best I can, even though I'm not living in their shoes. Right. You know, because even speaking to you, right, I will not know in this lifetime what it's like to be a black woman. I will not know what it's like probably in this life to experience, you know, LGMD. But but getting to dive in and open my heart to your experience, it's like, okay, I can have more empathy and compassion and allyship for what you're going through, even though I don't have a direct experience of it. Yeah. I think another side of this, too, on this topic of trying to understand and and just be aware of the experiences, I think this is something I I saw you had retweeted on Twitter, Keisha, about how Black folks continue to experience higher rates or worse consequences of disabilities. And Oh, yes. I mean, I feel like that is such an important thing to talk about as well, because especially for me and Jason being white, you know, there's a lot we need to continue to educate ourselves on and really be more aware. I mean, it's kind of like coming back to that conversation about denial, right. like not pretending that our personal experiences or the experiences of people around us speak for the entire country or the world. And I think that that's right. we need more people like you speaking out about these things and, and bringing up these facts. Because I, it's it's kind of sad to me. It feels like this type of information is has been not brought up in the media as much as it needs to. And I'm grateful that it's starting to happen more, but we have a long way to go. Yes. So I'd love for, for you to share what you've learned about things like the higher rates and the worst consequences. I mean, one thing I've, I've heard is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like in general, Black women don't always get great treatment by doctors. And I was like, hearing some like horrifying statistics about how there's still like a mentality in the medical industry that black people don't feel pain the same way. And I'm like, is is this possibly true in 2020 that the medical industry still believes? Is that is that true? I mean, I personally can say I have not experienced anything regarding that. So I was just honestly as shocked as you were. And then a part of me also was like, wow, I could honestly believe this, though. You know, because we're just now hearing it probably now. But, you know, but yeah, it's totally sad. I've been reading stories of other people, you know, having situations like that in the doctor medical field, how they wouldn't get the right prescriptions or, you know, they're not considered like a high priority and how this girl felt like her doctor pretty much just wanted her to die. And although she had diabetes and she's a black woman and diabetes ran in her family. And that just like broke my heart because I'm like, wow, like you're right. Like this is 2020. We are living in America. And it's crazy how this still exists. So it's like for me, when I read that, it's like, oh, my God. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not surprised. This is America. This is how black women and black men are treated. It's unfair. But it's like, look at how long we've been having to deal with this. Like, I mean, forever and ever from 
as far as our ancestors, everything. So it, it is pretty crazy, but I am grateful that I have not experienced anything like that in the medical field. I have some great doctors. I love them. I always write to them on email. I always ask them questions if I need a prescription and this is my primary care. I have a therapist. I have a nutritionist, neurologist, like everything. So I have not personally experienced that and I hope that I do not. I hope that I do not, but I do feel so bad for the Black women out there that have. And I just hope that this gets better and more voices because it's like until we say something, then nothing's going to get done. So it's like, you know, they stay in silence getting that bad treatment, then, you know, nothing will get hurt. But then it also sucks because I know some Black women that have tried to speak up, but then see they're not heard. Then things try to get shut down. So it's kind of like, what do we do? We can't win sometimes. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me to reflect on this because especially when it comes to disabilities, I feel like it almost seems like the media or like television shows, like entertainment think that, oh, if we just like show somebody with disabilities, then that counts as us being diverse. But then when I think about it, I feel like a lot of the people that I've seen on TV or movies with disabilities tend to be white. And so then it starts to paint this picture where you're not being exposed to it as frequently. For example, I'm watching uh, the show right now called Love on the Spectrum. Have you watched that oh, yet, Keisha? No, but that's with people with Down syndrome, right? Yeah. Or oh. no, not Down Mostly, I think, if not entirely autistic people. Oh, okay. Or they okay. might have Asperger's. I think there's a mix, but so far, I've only watched one episode, but so far it's like all white people. You know, and it's still like, okay, if we don't if we don't show diversity with people that are experiencing different types of living, then we just like get used to not seeing it. And it's almost like we have to like look for these things harder when they're not as in our face, if right. that makes sense. And for you bringing up that, like, I just wonder, is it okay, so if if black people are experiencing higher rates or worse consequences of disabilities is is part of that because they're not being seen or recognized in some of these ways. And it's like they keep getting pushed aside as if they're not important or we can just pretend that they're not there. And I'm curious, like what what you think that we can do to be to raise our awareness about this and make sure that everybody is being represented? I would say use, you know, you guys voice as being white if i you know if i if i can say that i think honestly you guys you know when you guys use your voice for instance it's like i noticed it has made a difference just for example of say something i would post online in a group for instance as a black woman all right that may get a few likes a few comments yes that's great and then now the white person in that same group is going to post my same thing i just posted but because she posted it now it has gotten like all this attraction. And that's not just not, that's just one example. I showed like this, I've seen this like consistently and I'm just like, why is that? You know? So I'm just like, okay. So a lot of my friends too, that are white, especially dis disability, like they're like, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And I tell them, I think just you advocating, sharing your voice. It's like, you know, because they listen to you guys opposed to us. So it's like, you guys are going to get more of a platform then, you know, I am. So yes, I support, I love that, you know, I've been getting so much support, but I also want this support to continue when all of this, you know, starts to die down. You know, it's like, let's not forget this has been going on for centuries. This is not just something that started a few months ago. This has been going on and it will continue to go on. You know, honestly, I'm just being honest until like, who knows, till further notice. So just, I just want everybody to, you know, keep up the same energy, keep this same, you know, all this stuff that you're doing, supporting, just keep all of this up and continue to do that even when things, you know, start to die down. Like, just keep this up. I want this to continue to go and just, yeah, use your voice. Yeah. Let us be heard. And, you know, because you guys just have this platform. So, yep, speak up. And yeah, I think that's like probably the best advice I could give of just, you know, speaking up and sharing your voice and using your platform to represent people like myself. And thank you for sharing that. It's certainly something where Jason and I are are working hard to do and and also to encourage the listener to take that same advice. And we need to continue with all of this. In fact, one thing I saw that I, I thought was really wonderful is, <laughs> Keisha, I don't know if you you noticed or participated in this like challenge online uh, with women and it was like challenge accepted. Do you know about that? Oh, the black and white. Yeah. 
the black and white photos. Yeah, because someone asked me to do it. So I was like, all right, challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I didn't do it, but because I, I was like, I don't feel like it. But right. <laughs> the reason I didn't do it is because I didn't fully like understand the purpose. And I, I thought like, I don't want to do something just because other people are doing like, I need to deeply understand my motivations before engaging in something like that. Right. One thing that I considered doing, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, I saw some women, instead of posting selfies of themselves, they were sharing photos of Black women and like such as Brianna Taylor instead. Yeah. And saying like, I don't need to show a photo of myself. Like we need to continue the conversation. And, and it was like using that challenge to bring more awareness to like, we can't just like hop on another trend. Kind of like there was that big trend of sharing the black square during the beginning of this current Black Lives Matter movement. And it's like the intention might've been good. Kind of going back to what Jason brought up about saying somebody's an inspiration, like maybe you do have good intentions, but if you say something or do something without really deeply thinking about the reason behind it, yeah. it might come across as like superficial Right. Or yeah. not having as much of the meaning. And so there's like a combination for me of wanting to like actually make a difference when I'm posting something and not just like hop on the bandwagon. And I really just appreciated the people that were posting Brianna's photo for that. And also, I don't know if you saw that she's now on the cover of Own Magazine, Oprah's Magazine, which I thought... Oh, wow. I didn't see that. That is awesome. Aw, I love that. It's so it was such a beautiful cover. And I I think that Oprah is typically on every cover of her magazine. Is that right? I think like it's usually yeah. a picture of her. Maybe it was I have to double check. That sounds about right. I've been like trying to get a feature in her magazine forever now. <laughs> Let's make <laughs> it happen. We gotta yes. we gotta manifest that for you. And I I hope that that does happen. And 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 I was looking at this cover feeling like bittersweet emotions. It was like, this is amazing that they put her on the cover, but also she's not around to see that. And my heart just broke thinking like, wow, like you get on the cover of Oprah's magazine, which is so incredible, but, but like at what expense, at what cost? Exactly. You know? So it's like that dual feeling of, it brings up a lot to think about, I suppose. And, and yeah, I think that we just have to continuously reflect that's i think maybe one of the biggest messages from this conversation with you is just bringing awareness stepping outside of yourself and not acting based on your own ego or your limited experiences and really taking into consideration how your actions affect other people for better or for worse yeah it's true i also feel that you know one of the things is is ever present for me is this idea of keeping our foot on the gas is the analogy that I keep getting. And as I see, say, as an example, I'm a huge basketball fan, always have been, like it's always been my sport. And the NBA restarting yesterday, I think one of the coolest things that I've seen them do is the players now that the NBA season has restarted is having players be able to put phrases instead of their last names on the back of their jerseys. And so many players, speaking of Brianna, had say her name on the back of their jerseys. And so every time you see these, you know, the players down the court and they like zoom in on the action on the basketball court, you're seeing these these messages reinforced over and over and over again. And I and I love the fact that, you know, some of my favorite basketball players continue to reinforce that for me, because then my 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 question is then how do I keep my foot on the gas? Right. And and by having you on Keisha and having the conversations that we're having on the podcast and our social media and you know, making people uncomfortable. I mean, that's the name of our podcast, right? Is is not shying away from uncomfortable conversations or not shying away from, um, you know, over the course of the last few months with Black Lives Matter, seeing people unfollow me. I'm like, cool, there's the door. You know, it's like, <laughs> for real though, it's, I think, emboldening my search for truth yeah. and our search for justice and the mentality that, and I'm not sure if this is a quote that's attributable to someone. So if either of you know, like call it out, but you know, we're not free until all of us are free. It's like my sense of 
humanity and extending compassion and empathy to my fellow human beings, even though you may be differently abled or a different skin color, different ethnicity. It's like, if I am dedicated to freedom and liberation for all, like I got to step up, I got to keep my foot on the gas. So by seeing things like the Oprah cover and what's going on in the NBA and what's going on with your work in the world, it's just such a good reminder for me to like, nope, we got a lot more to do. This is, it's not a couple of squares on your Instagram post and then you step away from it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> It's so true. I totally agree. I think it's important too to be reminded of of something as simple as like retweeting or resharing somebody else's message to amplify their voice when their voice not may not be heard as loudly. And I think sometimes I hesitate to do those things because I don't want it to come across as performative. But what I've learned is that I'd rather come it come across that way than not do it at all and try and see if it makes a difference. Yeah, totally. Yep, that would work. All you can do is try. <laughs> so Keisha, what is next for you? What are you working on right now? What's on your heart? I know you've been doing masks in addition to your clothing line. And I know it's it's tough right now because we're in this time of uncertainty. And I think you said that it's just about taking it day by day. But beside being an Oprah magazine, which <laughs> we will put some positive energy towards, and maybe if we just keep saying it, it'll lead to the SEO traffic. And you Speak it into existence. Speak it <laughs> exactly. into existence. Yeah, you know, we- that's what I'm trying. I think you should just mention that like as much as possible. And yes. Just- Putting it out there and doing the work. I mean, you've been part of so many great interviews and magazine features online. And so I think that it's amazing. You just speaking out about your experience and helping other people understand it is so wonderful. So what else are you working on? What's coming out for you? What what can we keep our eye on on your social media and your website and your podcast? Um, sure. I would definitely say just continue. Make sure you um, subscribe, you know, to my email list. I am always coming up with new designs, new creative ways, you know, to express, you know, what I'm dealing with through my clothing line. I recently added some home decor pillows on my website with Ooh. my logo on them. So, yeah, because I love throw pillows. If you see my apartment, I just have like different ones on the couch and the bed. So definitely I was like, why not add some decor pillows? That would be so cute. So, yeah, I'm just always just thinking of different things. And my ultimate goal is to hopefully create an adaptive clothing collection for people with disabilities because it takes us such a long time, you know, to get dressed on a regular basis. So I would love to create an adaptive, more accessible clothing line for people with disabilities under the Girls Chronically Rock Umbrella. But um, yeah, I just like there's just so many different things. I want to continue to do different speaking engagements, inspiring others, inspiring students. I would love to do a TED Talk. That's on my list of things. I would love to do that. But yeah, just like mostly continue to thrive, continue to grow Girls Chronically Rock and build it into a major empire. Amazing. Well, I have no doubt in your ability to make that happen. (laughs) And I'm curious also, what are some of your sources of inspiration and any resources you might want to share for others to continue to learn, not just from you, but but where do you get information? Where do you expand your awareness and your knowledge on on disabilities and, and COVID and other, like, what do you feel like is a great source of information for you? Sure. I would think um, great source of information for me, what has helped me along the way is connecting with other individuals in the disability community on social media. And I realized hashtagging is, can be like your best friend because now on Instagram, like you can now follow the hashtag. So for instance, I follow like hashtag disability awareness, hashtag chronic illness, hashtag whatever entrepreneur, hashtag podcast. And that kind of would bring you to a whole different range of other individuals of just kind of like, you know, that can connect with you. So if you just hashtag like entrepreneur, you would be surprised of how many other hashtags and so many people using that, that you connect with those other individuals. Another great um, support is also the different support groups that I am in on Facebook, like Boston Business Women, Women Helping Women um, podcast group. There's a group I'm a part of that's um, for muscular dystrophy, living with limb girdle muscular dystrophy. So being a part of a community that, you know, you can kind of create within and can understand what you're going through and vice versa is definitely and has helped me along the way. And I would definitely advise that with other people, regardless if you're going through something or not, if you want to be a business owner slash entrepreneur, whatever you want to do, and just kind of reach out to those different groups. And the community is so warm and welcoming. And 
yeah. And you never know like who you can meet, what connections you may get um, some ideas from. And yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome, Keisha. It, it has been just a breath of fresh air having you here. Your spirit, your energy, your heart, your positivity, they, they just come through. And Thank um, you. Oh, yeah. I just, I appreciate you expanding us, opening us up even more to your experience and, you know, what it is that you're bringing to inspire this world. And, and, I, and I will use that word. I mean, for me, I just, I feel my heart is more open. I feel uh-huh. you just, you, you just crack me open even wider. So, you know, Aww. thank you for bringing that love and that energy here today. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. And for the dear listener here, whether it is your very first time listening to This Might Get Uncomfortable or you've been with us since the beginning, you can access all of Keisha's resources, her social media handles, Girls Chronically Rock. You want to support her by getting one of her amazing masks or or t-shirts or new throw pillows. I'm all about those throw pillows. (laughs) Yes. You can access all of her resources and links in the show notes at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can click on the podcast section. It will bring you to this episode and all of our episodes. And you can follow us more on social media. Our handle is at Wellevator on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. We also have a YouTube channel. We're going to start posting more video content there. So stay tuned. And thank you again for just you know being here, Keisha, and bringing so much joy and openness and education to our listeners. We love you. Appreciate you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.